Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Hey, Liam, how's it going? We are What's up, live. Um, I do have my list of questions that uh, listeners or readers uh, submitted so that we won't miss them on this episode. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted questions on Facebook. Uh, and if you haven't submitted a question on Facebook and you end up jumping in on the show to watch this, uh, just type them in. We'll display them. I figured that out two episodes ago. Uh, We've but, had fun uh, with it. Uh, so yeah, um, but, uh, interesting week, uh, or I finished, uh, my law school finals for the semester. So that's done. We, we can, we can be done about that. Uh, ran a nine mile race this morning. It was awful, but at least I got to eat like a massive egg and meat sort of thing, um, at a breakfast joint. So, but that's all we'll say about that. Um, but yeah, uh, what's up with, what's up with golden boy, man? He's, uh, he's struggling. I mean, he, I think he's just lulling all of us into a false sense of security that his time is done, and then they'll they'll when the when they get to the playoffs, they'll just be the Patriots, and his noodle arm will be okay, and it will be a t- well, you know. Here's the thing that that's the narrative that everybody in New England is certainly selling ourselves, and I'm absolutely hoping that it's true. But at, but at the same time, you're, when your quarterback's 42, 43 years old, whatever the hell Tom is now at this point, uh, I'm not, I'm I'm not putting stacks on the money line at this point. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, uh, it, it's a good time if you're an NFL fan. The Cardinals are somehow winning uh, their ca- their game against the, the the Browns. So that's not really it's not really something because they're both awful. But uh, that's that's yeah. you know that's kind of decent. Um, hey, man, Baker Mayfield can sling it. It's just you know sometimes he slings it to the wrong people. <laughs> but uh, getting into Major League Rugby, and this is our uh, Christmas holiday wrap up slash thing because this will be the last episode we record before we enter the pre the full on preseason, which will be I think the we'll do it the second Sunday of January, not the first because that's just kind of mean to everyone uh, on the show and mm-hmm. uh, also you, um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, the first thing I want to get into, and, and we're seeing a lot of chatter about the the ATL signings that just broke. Although these haven't been confirmed by the team, these came on. I, I would not be surprised if, if these show up. They're kind of nice. Um, Lock Johan Momsen, um, he's alone apparently from the Greekas uh, in the Curry Cup. So I don't even know how he's alone from the Greekas because their season is different uh, than the. Uh, it's like a Miter 10 and Curry Cup are, are I guess, fall, sort of, or I guess, spring, since it's Southern Hemisphere rugby uh, leagues, and Super Rugby is the, uh, is the, is the spring, is the, is the winter into, yeah. It, it could, it, it might be more indicative in just in terms of what their roster plans are yeah. for him, um, uh, you know, m- more so than it just being like alone. It's 
it could more so just be about keeping a, a, a certain player all, in shape. All, all uh, is it's a big yeah. South African lock. He's six foot five, and well, he's, he's he weighs a lot. And then you have um, another guy. Uh, who comes in from Western Province also, uh, also having played with the Leopards in the Curry Cup. Uh, back row um, plays number eight and I think seven, so that's kind of an interesting little combo. Uh, Marno Redelingheis. I think I got that one right. It's a little easier than an Islander name. Um, also big, also six and five, also huge, um, which says a lot. Uh, but um, other than that, all of these guys, like they're young. I think one of these is like 22. One of these is 23. Uh, Coleman is the old fly half Kurt Coleman who has played in 42 appearances for the Stormers. I don't know how many appearances he had for the Southern Kings, but in the first season of the Southern Kings in uh, the, or maybe it was the second season of uh, when they went to the Pro 14 or created the Pro 14. Uh, you know, that's like three really good signings for Atlanta. Um, and it's kind of, they're kind of sneaky. Uh, I guess we'll address some of the questions about the East at the end of the show. Uh, but for, you know, a lot of people looked at th- their signings have mostly been local and mostly young. And, you know, this is some non-local and some very highly talented individuals. You know, I mean, in terms of the age, it could just be more so about trying to create a culture and like putting guys in the locker room who are going to be comfortable, you know, going through, you know, like a, a, a four month season, you know, like a, along with other guys. So having people their own age is definitely a plus. Also, it just means the ceiling of your team going forward as chemistry continues to build, not just in this season, but in seasons going forward, you know, it, but, you know, if you don't have as you know as many like uh, as as many retirements or as many players leaving, having a lot of young players could definitely be indicative of you know a pretty bright future for a franchise as long as there's you know sustained improvement and sustained success going forward from 2020. So we're going to get to a lot of major league rugby stuff later in the show, but um, I, part, I wouldn't say part of the reason why we didn't record last week was because I was making calls. Um, but we said that we would just uh, do one episode in December so that uh, we just get it all done. But guys, <laughs> USA rugby is still burning. Um, it's, it's been about two weeks. I, I didn't make a lot of calls uh, last week to try and figure some of this stuff out. It is, I would say it's a web. I would say, um, so if you, if you haven't been following, uh, there's a lot of opinions. I, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a web. There's a lot of opinions, but there's, some when you follow the straight facts, there there tends to be a pretty linear. There there, there are some out. problems. So, um, in the last two years in a row, not like 2019, we don't really know how bad 2019 is going to be yet because it's not over. But uh, in the in 2016, 28, I guess 2018 and 2019, we lost a total of like eight and a half million dollars. Uh, that is mostly because of the decision that Nigel Melville, Chad Keck, and um, Michael Chang? No, no, no. Um, Chairman Chang, that sounds horrible. I, I don't know his first name. Um, let me Google that. Um, Chang, USA Rugby, 
We're Little very so William Chair utilizing technology the, here. The former chair of USA Rugby, back when he was vice chair, they decided that they wanted to launch their own event promoter and rights holder company called Rugby International Marketing. Um, basically, um, like creates rim job of you creating creating their own sort of IMG that would be held by the by USA Rugby and sort of like a some soccer United marketing soccer United marketing is not owned by USA soccer is owned by the MLS. So it's not really the same model, but the idea is you create this rights holder company, uh, you sell them your rights and then they uh, give you a licensing fee, which is supposed to be usually a lot of money. Usually, especially if you look at some of the college deals and then they go off and sell your sponsorship and then they activate that sponsorship for you. Um, you don't really know your sponsors. You just do it. But the biggest thing about that is that Rugby International Marketing was in charge for a while uh, before the company that has now been reformed into USA Rugby Partners, uh, uh, the Rugby World Cup Sevens. And it didn't have the capital to underwrite that events because the guys in charge for some reason thought, hey, let's let's bring in Wales and South Africa and promote this event uh, in Washington, D.C. It'll be one of the most inopportune weekends we, you could possibly well, yeah, I mean, people can say whatever they want about the CRC, but I, I don't really think it was that big of an issue. The fact that you could get 20 some thousand people in two different locations on the East coast on the same weekend to watch rugby says something, 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 not a lot, but something. But, but it also says, you know, a, a little bit to mismanagement of what, you oh, know, it, 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 watch it, because it, you know, the college collegiate rugby is a lot more, you know, established as opposed to a test match that, you know, essentially, you know, was more or less meaningless. I, I, I think it was meaningless in, in a lot of ways. I think it was, it was not a blunder. It was just stupid. Like it is okay. It was a blunder, but it was the dumbest thing you could ever think of. I think the fact that 22,000 people went in there for an out of window test was a success, but 22,000 people into, into a dilapidated RFK stadium where we definitely lost money on the event and then we had to pay out match fees. And the negotiated match fee for each country was a million dollars. So we we basically lost two and a half million dollars on that event. And then we needed World Rugby to guarantee the get, underwrite Rugby World Cup 7s because we were broke. We had no money. And then instead of taking out more, because at some point it was going to bite us, uh, we only took just enough to get through uh, Rugby World Cup 7s. And... We are dealing with a legacy that will hamper this organization for a decade. And that is the, the rim job, as it, as it has been called. Uh, Rugby, Rugby International Marketing as a company will hamper uh, and shackle and be an anchor, an anchor in a bad way, uh, to, to this organization, uh, whether it uh, decentralizes or not or what it looks like in the future – I don't know. Um, some people have been terminated. Um, some contracts have not been renewed. Um, some people have just straight up been downsized. I know people in the membership department. Well, not the membership department. It was uh, it was somebody that worked in the rugby ops department doing like some crazy good stuff. Actually, uh, if people engage with him, from what I understand, he was he was doing really good stuff. And well, we don't have money to pay people, um, and it's. 
like we like we just don't and there will be more people let go uh they're, they're just, it's just gonna happen because we're broke um but the biggest one out there was uh steve hodges uh <laughs> i've worked this one over and the best way i can explain it because i don't really think he did anything wrong um i i don't think he was the one to really finesse the accounting um but he was also the one that was told that he needed to go find his own money. And that's not how this works. Um, in a healthy organization, the high performance department may be a part of a capital campaign where they, where they talk and they schmooze to a donor. But they don't set up the meeting and negotiate the price. Um, in a healthy organization, uh, well, the philanthropy department raises millions of dollars a year, and you can see that with USA Triathlon, where they give out over almost a million dollars to collegiate programs that are standing up uh, for NCAA. And this uh, 2018, to the NCAA initiative, USA Rugby gave out a $7,000 grant to Naira, not to individual schools. Like that's not enough. Like the the grant program from USA Triathlon is. I think it's 240 grand over three years to, to help start the program. Like that's the, that's a real grant program. Um, seven grand. I don't even think that keeps the light bill on for Naira. Uh, but so I, I think this, this happens in the army a lot. Um, sometimes you do your job and you do it well and you get fired. Like that happens a lot. And I think Dave Hodges was fired for doing his job. I think uh, another name that was, that is out there in the nether. And that's the only reason why I'm talking about it. It's Jerry Gherkin, who is the comptroller, financial controller, whatever, you know, and well, he was fired. Well, because he was like the person in charge of those accounts, like how they went back and forth names that I can't really name who I think are responsible um, for all of this. And this is what I will say, like just because the high performance overspends happened, they're not the reason why this organization is here today in this spot. They're not. Um, it was, it was the smoke. Like we saw this, this was the smoke from that you saw from five miles away. Mm -hmm. And some people were fired um, and deserve to be. Um, some people, I would say Dave Hodges did not deserve to be fired. Um, I would say how he left the organization was wrong. Um, and I think some people um, within the organization understand that at every single level. But uh, at certain junctures, ah, man, this just comes to blood sacrifice um, mm. the, for the for the for the non. I guess he's Abraham's lamb, he's maybe like Christmas in in the act of like Nordic stuff. Uh, you know, some, sometimes you just have to. You, you know, offer a pound of flesh. And I think he, he is, he was the pound of flesh that got offered up to the, um, the pagan gods. Sorry for any. Yep. Well, Hey man, it tis Yule, man. Tis the season uh, of Yule. But, uh, there's, there's some other people in the organization that may yet be let go or may, may have to get resigned because I think there are people that are also responsible still with the organization. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the CEO. Um, but I would say that, uh, there are people within the organization that have made tremendous mistakes uh, that did not give Dave Hodges the help he needed to either find the money, raise the money, 
or reduce expenses uh, for the team because the plan, the whole assembly plan was still approved. They just like, like finessed the budget. So it didn't look like the shit needed to be paid. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, when push came to shove world rugby says you pay your men's rugby team. So if you don't pay your men's rugby team, you go, you go and get it. And uh, well, that was the thing that was finessed out of the budget and it still had to be paid. So, yeah. You, so in, re- in regards to USA rugby being on fire, well, a, a, what I've seen online is like some, uh, and you know, this is a small, but vocal minority. Some, some people are crying criminal. And honestly, in my opinion, I think it's more just like blatant mismanagement. So I will say before you get in, I don't necessarily think you, a to prove that criminality, you'd have to get someone to be willing to go after this organization. Um, and I, I don't think that will happen because there are, well, in the white collar crab world, there are much bigger fishes. But yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Pardon. I mean, you know, there's, there's no Jordan Belfort, you know, our obvious Jordan Belfort here. So I, I wouldn't be, uh, be, wouldn't be that worried. But anyway, the big number a lot of people were pushing early on um, when the story broke was the eight hundred thousand plus dollars uh, owed to clubs, with indications behind the scenes that that number could have even been could could have been even higher were it not for some of the you know as you were saying some last minute finessing. You know, meanwhile, the $4.4 million line of credit that uh, that World Rugby um, gave, gave to U.S., which, may I remind people, came interest-free. Um, it apparently wasn't even enough in the first place when it came to what USA Rugby needed. Um, so, again, that credit line, like, you know, it, it just seems like if, if USA Rugby had been, a, had been a little bit more realistic with World Rugby and how much money they needed, I feel like it wouldn't have been as big a catalyst for when the hammer dropped uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, in regards to USA Rugby, just like you said, there was definitely smoke. You know, the USA Rugby Congress, it definitely is involved, blameless in this. You know, uh, there needs to be a greater attention to detail by Congress um, because honestly, um, like, you know, I've been saying the red flags were definitely there. And while that while that definitely starts with them asking more of the right questions and actually following through, following through on those inquiries. That's also going to mean like, you know, there needs there needs to be a greater amount of communication between the Congress and their constituents. Because a lot of people around the USA rugby world right now are just just now realizing how bad of a situation we were in. And I'm talking about like the common rugby player is now pretty aware about how bad of a situation that USA rugby is in because this hammer drops so suddenly. It seems to me that there should have been, you know, at least some greater communication uh, like between constituents in terms of just sending out even even monthly emails could have been enough, but that's but that's not standard with a lot of um, you know regional rugby units around the uh, around the country. Now no, it's it's not. I would say when I mean, especially when you were a college player, I'm sure you guys knew nothing. Um, oh, I was just absolutely not. I was a 26 year old. What man? Uh, no, when I was like 24, 25, uh, as just this dumbass, and I said dumbass <laughs> on the air. I don't care. A rugby player who was just trying to play rugby. I didn't know dog crap about like the board. I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, heck, I didn't even know we had like a national team until two years later. It was wild. Like, no, but but here's my world was the exec board of my club. Yeah. (laughs) That that, that was the political structure of rugby that I, and the union that I hated, everyone hates the union. Right. And and the union that I hated was the Rio Grande rugby union. Not to, 
not Pacific Southwest GU or the <laughs> Pacific South GU, which is like actually run by out of out in California at the time. But it's just the real grand rugby union was the thing that the organization that we despised. But, but no one but you didn't like, even know why. You didn't even know why you despised it. And now exactly it's the same thing with us. And now it's like okay, there's this USA Rugby Congress, and they had a chance to have power because about three about 18 months ago, and I, I've told some of the people on the board this, actually. Um, at this point, when you had like a three-member board, and they had to repopulate the board um, with some people, uh, well, there wasn't a board to do anything, and the Congress could have given themselves more power, more oversight power. And, and the thing is, is, like as an organization, it is not – it's full of everyone that sits on their own fiefdom. Some people are very – like work very hard and they're trying to get things done and then other people don't care. Uh, you know, um, they just – they're just there and I think it's a resume thing to make themselves feel better. And I, I don't get a letter. Um, I mean our club actually – like my club here – Phoenix Rugby Club, who I haven't played for in a little bit, but they send out communication of club business all the freaking time. But right? how but how much of that information is in regards to the club's communication with the USA Rugby Congress? Oh, because I don't, Until I don't, very recently. I don't think they get what I'm saying is I don't think they get that stuff, if you know what I'm saying. Exactly. Right? And and so yeah. this this just comes back to my point that Congress definitely isn't blameless in this because I think if there's a greater line of communication between Congress as constituents and Congress actually partaking, you know, I, I, I don't that that's absolutely not to say that there aren't members of Congress who absolutely do this, who are who, who very much care about their regions and their rugby clubs and, and, and whatnot. I just think this, this is something that the the mean amount of effort needs to raise across the board and the mean amount of uh, you know of, of attention paid to the finer details going on with USA Rugby and the and the and the executive board there, it it, it needs to come up, yeah. and and so um I mean like that that kind of like lead, uh, leads me in though to the uh, to the task force that's supposed to restructure USA Rugby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess we're gonna go to this like decentralization path, and I read this. Yeah. And then I was got a bunch of messages about it. And it's like, this is just corporate bullshit. Corporate jargon. Again, again, again. Yeah. Other than saying, hey, guys, we're broke. We need to figure out how, well, to, de, how, how to get services more local and give you more control because we, like, we can't afford to do it here at the price it's going to cost um, because... Like it's it's just impossible. I was talking to somebody else um, about in governance, and everyone hates me. I talk about triathlon, but guess what? Similar sized NGB. Okay, member services department has eight people in it. There's two people in the member services department in USA Rugby. So and that's not for a lack of need. It's for a lack of ability to pay any more people to be in there. So no, what I'm saying is we don't have the ability, like they're like USAT is making money into their fist. That's why so, they're for personnel. Maybe. So th th this is the exact quote from USA Rugby's release saying, "We agree that the national office is current and in, in, in its under its current form is not in a position to effectively service the diverse needs and wants of all stakeholders from youth rugby through 
through to the national senior teams. So USA Rugby is at least being honest in that regard, saying that the way things are currently working is not sustainable. And, you know, I, I, you know, that, and that's, that's the way that they need, you know, to move, to move forward. But thank God they had a 10 year plan that apparently they, they had been undertaking that they're going to accelerate now. And that part of that process involves uh, setting up a task force um, of, of a number of people. Was, uh, the plan, the, the, the strategic, strategic plan, um, I think. The 10 now, year strategic I, plan. I think, Aaron. I think it's gone. Uh, I think, you know, it's been rolled up. I don't know if it was finished, if there was ink, I don't know if it was edited or anything, but they're I think going into gone. threat level midnight with this thing. We're, we're going DEFCON 4, and uh, we're, we're set, we're setting up the task force, baby. And, and, and uh, you want to know who's on this task force is uh, people like us, uh, um, like Eric Gleason, uh, John, sorry, I can't. What's it? What's his name? John so Barrett uh, from the USA and CEO of yeah. USA Rugby. So there's three people that I don't understand that, um, that are, on, you know, are on this task force. So people are going to say whatever, whatever, whatever. So I understand why Eric and Ross would need to be involved. Um, but they ha- are basically the helmsman or not the executive officer and the captain of the ship that just ran aground um, in the middle of, you know, um, Narragansett Bay. Um, and then Jean Babette, who's the chief, uh, who's the chair of USA Rugby Partners, Old Rim, sort of the, and USA Rugby commercial, the commercial entity that is supposed to be signing sponsorship um, so that we can generate revenue. Because the real there's really two things that you run an NGB on, and it ain't member fees. And we've been running our organization on member fees. The two things that you run an organization are on are philanthropy and commercial partnerships. And uh, commercial partnerships in this LLC sort of spot ain't generating much cash. They're signing some VIC deals, and VIC deals are great. But guess what? VIC deals don't put money in my pocket. Um, you know, if and it's just... Guys, the, these three people, sorry. Um, so I don't know who's going to be on this task force because uh, they didn't, all of them are like T- TBDs after those three. So it, it's um, Ross, so Ross Young, yeah. John Bobette, Eric Gleason. Um, so, and then Jim Brown is the USA oh, rugby Brown. board member. Um, yeah. And then there are two yet to be, uh, there are two uh, uh, to be determined for a financial advisor and a legal advisor. Oh, so. Yeah. And then, uh, then there's going to be a secondary, a uh, secondary advisory panel that's going to be made up of six different people: a youth representative, college representative, club representative, international athlete representative, high performance representative, and referee and a referee representative. So, along with the task force being set up, there's a task force to advise that task force <laughs> in, in a convoluted inception of task forces uh, that is going to fix USA rugby. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. Um, anyone who thinks this is good and here's the thing, decentralization can work, but it works because of volume. So I think that one of the reasons, like what people seem to hate on the USA rugby insurance, but guess what? If your club has their paperwork straight and you suffer a catastrophic in- injury and you have primary care insurance, you're going to get your 25 grand from that secondary insurance policy and you're going to be happy for it. Um, but uh, if you are playing rugby without primary care insurance, 
Um, you are driving, and then you get suffers catastrophic injury. And I'm not talking death. I'm talking like a like a torn ACL or a blown knee or some or a broken ankle, things like that. Um, death is a different. I'm not going to go there. Um, but uh, you're going to be happy for it. But a lot of clubs aren't really trained on that stuff. And then you have a lot of people over time have claimed on that have claims on that policy when they don't have primary care coverage and i don't think we've done a good of a, i don't think clubs and i don't think the national governing body has really explained this but when if you're paying a 50 dollars membership fee and not all of that goes to insurance uh, it doesn't because there are other member services that the union provides uh but those are the two sort of like things that you can always talk about. The other one is like competition management system. Another member service is national championships. People D three wants national championships. That costs money. Um, D two wants national championships. That costs money. So, so there, the website that that's a member service that costs money. Um, like there are things in here uh, and paying membership staff specifically, not really the other staff, but they cost money too. So, but that's the member, but member fees, if you look at it, because uh, nationally registered rookie rugby players get by on the bargain. It's a $5 register or was a $5 registration fee. So senior rugby uh, subsidizes youth and rookie rugby registrations because it's not even. Okay. Um, but that's not my point. There are more member services than just the secondary insurance that, is very convoluted because no one's trained or has figured it out. Um, but if your if your admin has all the facts in their binder when you suffer an injury and you have primary care insurance, you're, you'll go get some money. Um, that's and, and the other thing is liability insurance, and that's so that you if you get sued, you have an insurance that will uh, cover those. Um, but uh, you know it's. It's rough, man. Uh, and now we're moving towards, I think, swiftly towards a decentralization idea, which could work. It could work, but it requires requires a lot of really good people and a lot of hard work. And, you know, should we be involved in that? Sure. You know, um, but the thing, the reason why it works for soccer, and I, I think you and I had this conversation a while ago, and I've had this conversation with some other people, is the volume that soccer deals with ASO, which is more of a Western States youth soccer organization. It's in Arizona. It's in California. It's in Nevada. It's in Utah, American youth soccer organization, which is one of the youth. There are multiple youth soccer organizations that are sanctioned by USA soccer. ASO playing members. So not including parents who are coaches that have to be registered or whatever, or volunteers who are administrators that have to be registered. But playing members, so kids that are under the age of 14, there's over 500,000 of them. Mm -hmm. ASO's turnover is $72 million. USA Rugby's turnover is $12 million. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I, that's, that's the difference. It's economy of scale. So this insurance thing is important. Don't get me wrong. Like, it really is. And I have... I just think we're going to have a significant – I fear that if it if done poorly, it could be – it can basically be the end of this sport, and that's a problem. And that's 
basic, that's sort of my hesitancy to do this. And my fear is that the same people have been on the committees running this game because it's a membership organization that the national office then has to enforce that have stopped people from playing as much rugby as they want uh, are going to be the people that re I guess redesign the game. And if we can't coalesce to at least be on a joint insurance policy, well, guess what? Nerfu, True, Empire, USA South, or if it just becomes uh, the Alabama Rugby Union, I don't even know if that exists. Is that uh, a real thing? <laughs> I don't know. Your, your, your membership fee is going to skyrocket to your local union because the the – what you get for what you pay when it comes to that insurance policy is significant and your premium is going to go up. That's that. So that's a problem that needs to be addressed and needs to be, you can't just blow it up because unless you don't care, if you don't care about national teams and you don't care about getting varsity rugby in high school and you just want to play some beer league rugby. Then go play beer league rugby. If you don't care, if you don't care about all that stuff, okay. There needs uh, to be a center of gravity, so to speak. Well, in, to, in order to, to kind of like, you have national teams, you have to have an NGB. And I will tell you, the USOPC ain't coming to take over this NGB because we don't got a sex scandal. Yeah, not when there's gymnastics. Um, our finances, per them, because the last time we did a USOC audit, because we don't lie. Some, I guess we don't lie when we do our finance, when we do our audits. Apparently, we're a well-run organization. <laughs> Just apparently, I, I, this is this is factual stuff. I'm, I mean. If you're a rugby person and you're like deeply involved and you just read this stuff and you're like, this organization is on fire. Well, in the 10 years I've been involved in rugby in this country, we have lived on the float and there's always something crazy wrong with the NGB. And yet the USOC or World Rugby hasn't wholly taken it over and rejigger the entire thing so i mean I maybe with the emergence of the mlr and the usa market starts to become more and more viable for european clubs to make a profit in um you know as well as other overseas clubs to uh, potentially uh, start investing in then maybe world rugby might start paying a little bit more attention uh you know as well as um uh, like the governing like the governing body here in the united states to so what could what could turn into a cash cow yeah i, I think you know, there there could be there need there maybe need to be more changes on the board level, um, and I think there will be more changes at the board level because huh, I, I, there 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 just may be um, because I I think if we can't integrate the SMEs that are on the board into the national office so that they can provide help and I guess that's becoming an issue right now. Um, then eventually, you, you know, you're going to have a board problem. But the decentralization could work. If we can localize services and we can make sure education of referees and coaches and administrators is easily available from the national office. Because I'll tell you right now, education is really not available. You, I, I couldn't, I um, couldn't find um like a, a, a referee class. So, um, like so I think what happened, I think what happened was, 
they've severely reduced as a cost-cutting measure, and maybe this is just my narrative that I'm pulling up out, out of my rear, but they used to, like, the, the calendar used to be up, and there used to be a lot of, like, referee classes, and when I looked at it the other day before the, the National Development Tour came out, and I'm like, this is just a rebrand of cost-cutting. Instead, of, they're centralizing classes, and, uh, you know, it's, that's what they're doing because they can't afford it. And that's fine, you know, but uh, it just sucks because it's uh, like I've been looking for a 200 level class and there hasn't been one been one in, in Arizona. And youth, youth teams and youth leagues need referees, especially down in the Red River Conference in the Houston area. It, it's a, it, it continues to be a problem um, with, with especially at the youth level is finding referees um, for games that take place during the week even because – you know, unfortunately, Saturday or Saturday is not always a rugby day for a lot of the, uh, the teams, especially at the youth level. So, all right, enough about USA Rugby because I think we all want to go home at some point. Um, yeah, but uh, this is a major league rugby this podcast. Is a major league rugby uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, additions. Uh, this was confirmed by Commissioner uh, George Killebrew, who was announced on Monday. <laughs> so, there's a lot going on, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It was announced on Monday, and then Nola. Uh, had their press conference in um, in New Orleans, of course, at the Gold Mine. Uh, Love with, that name, with, by the with way. With Commissioner Killebrew uh, in attendance and during his uh, availability during, I guess, the speaking portion and the presentation portion uh, after uh, Tim Falcon, uh, owner of the Gold, confirmed Los Angeles and Dallas. Uh, George, uh, the first time it ever came out of either uh, Commissioner Meredith Dean Howe's uh, mouth or the current commissioner's mouth was this time. And he confirmed Los Angeles and Dallas, which we'd sort of heard rumors about for a while, uh, will come online in 2021. Uh, but uh, it appears that Dallas doesn't want a free stadium. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, what excites me about both of these groups, though, uh, Aaron, is that the guy, there actually seems to be some real structure and experience behind both of them. Um, so, with the uh, so in terms of Dallas, you have, uh, you have Donnie Nelson, who's the current general manager and president of the uh, of the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he's backing the, the franchise uh, coming in there. Um, Dallas, obviously, they were part of the original membership group um, ahead of the inaugural 2018 MLR season. Well, they've um, never left the membership group. Yeah, they've, so never, yeah, they've, they've been never fielded it. Yeah, they've been playing playing league dues. They just haven't fielded an actual team. Um, meanwhile, that then with Los Angeles, there was obviously a bid, um, you know, with the with the LA coast, and that fell through for a multitude of reasons. Um, now you have the Loyals coming in, and uh, James Godfrey is the chief executive op- officer in that new bid. Um, he's uh, in the, you know in the past he's been linked to uh, to New South Wales uh, rugby, um, and he's trying to make you know the Loyals brand, um, you know, kind of a conglomerate of sports. So it, it seems like that, you know, both, both these groups are coming in here, you know, having seen the MLR market as, you know, something that's going to be, you know, more and more uh, valuable and especially uh, considering its ceiling in the American market. Um, you know, th- they're coming in with a bit more of a plan now that, you know, a lot of the initial waters have kind of been, uh, been, been explored. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, when we get it, uh, I, you know, I think the other day I said, "Screw it, just have uh, just have them have the Dallas team play at the Star." Uh, Jerry Jones likes to make money, so I'm sure he'll take. Yeah. I'm sure he'll take our money, and we'll be able to sell beer. Um, so 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 we're good. Uh, but 
you know, it, it'll be, I think these two cities will be helpful. And a lot of, I saw some weird chatter. He said, MLR is ignoring the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, no. Your team has two freaking champions. I was like, A, there's a team in the Pacific Northwest. B, there has been no, there has been since the first season with the Vancouver RFC bid, and then there was like a BC Rugby Union kind of bid, and then there was another bid. Since season one, like there hasn't been another bid from Canada. And I guess there was some chatter about a guy who was like slinging together, you know, to be able to pay the fee in Portland, but he couldn't find uh, other investors that would be able to carry the project forward. And it's not, it's not MLR's job to necessarily go out and find owners. It just needs to like the legal organically happen. There needs to be the legitimate league, office, the league office. Isn't the size of the NFL's or even MLS's MLS is massively office. By the way, oh my gosh. Um, it's not even this, like we don't even have the size of the USL league office. We have, you know, a handful of people that work centrally in Salt Lake city and they're, they're, they're not working for much either. Um, so, so there's that, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we can we. I would say we have darts thrown on the board of cities in America that make sense for rugby. A lot of them are major markets. A lot, some of them medium markets. You know, speaking but, of which, Miami is is looking a lot more um, viable with uh with, with one of the principal. Too long. So we'll see. But I mean, when it comes to this, is well, according to him, it, it's according, happening. according to him, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah it's, it, so in 2022, apparently Miami is gonna happen, and now people are gonna quote, Oh, Liam Poach said Miami's gonna happen. Liam Poach did not say that. I Morad Bujalal said that. We're just quoting yeah. Morad Bujalal. No, it's you know, the best, the biggest thing is there's now 12, I guess, 14 members on the board of governors, and you have to get through the expansion committee. And then you have to survive a. Then your bid once once it gets through the expansion committee, it's a very professional process at this juncture. Like it's not like if if a if a bid makes it through, it is because you know all the at least for them like the group uh, dotted all the I's and the T's and put the periods and the Oxford commas in the right place, um, and they had the money to pay the fee. And then they had the money to at least pay for their players and their coaches for a year. Um, after that, it's kind of, you know, touch and go because yeah, the league isn't sustaining itself at this juncture because it's a phased investment model. We're, we're still a ways away um, from, you know, just generating hundreds of millions of dollars from a TV contract. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's I, I think that's good. It gets us in the right markets. It gets us exposed to to specific areas, and uh, you know you get the media and the investment and all that stuff. Um, the other yeah, announcement, yeah. you know, as, as as long as people don't you know tell you don't tell you you can't build a new stadium. Oh, you know, yeah. hard to save yeah. meta. That's going to be a problem. But yes, uh, yeah. So. You, Basically, sorry. So, just to kind of address, um, you know, kind of what happened in Dallas with the with the stadium bid um, from 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 Donnie's group. So, there was a vote with uh, with with the with the council um, that was that was ruling on it um, in ter in terms of whether 
um, they, they could basically uh, provide upgrades to a historic ballpark. Um, the, the ballpark. It's falling apart. It's falling apart. Yeah. So the ball, the ball, the ballpark's name, sorry, is utilizing technology. Uh, Reverchin Park. Yeah, there you go. And, and, and so, ba so basically, it was a ten million dollar plan from Donnie Nelson's group um, that they were going to invest. They were going to put in new bleachers. They were going to put in new locker rooms. They were going to put in uh, lights. They were going to put in a turf field that with capabilities for rugby, soccer, and baseball. Uh, and then, and so, despite the fact that it was approved, I think like by, uh, by a, uh, I think by, by a measure of 13 to two. In, uh, so in a, so I, I did some digging. It wasn't, it, so there was a different group of people. Yeah. That, that wanted to put up 15 months, like I guess a year and a half before one, a bit one approval, 13 to two in the Dallas city council. So, and then Reverend Sean Park Entertainment, which is uh, Donnie Nelson and somebody else and some other people, uh, their bid to, to for approval to I, I don't know what the, I guess at least a lease on the land and the ability to renovate was denied seven to seven. And because there was one there was one voting member who was not present who also wouldn't have voted for it. But the question is, free stadium. Free stadium, right? Or grassy meadow. Free stadium, or that—that that was know. the big hang-up, by the way. They—they they, they called it like a free stadium giveaway or something like that. And there was a lot of concerns about a grassy meadow next to the park and whether or not it, it, it would be damaged or something all like right. that. All I know is the the Nelson Group was going to rejuvenate this park which once i guess at some point held little league championships uh when it was nice uh for like the state of texas it was like a regional site it was really sweet and now it's just this dilapidated thing that people don't play at anymore because they won't spend the money to replace the light bulbs and it was potentially going to hold the dallas eagles who are a minor league um baseball team so uh, i, I yeah. mean I don't know, there's obviously tons of more issues going on right now with minor league baseball and whether or not it'll exist in the future but uh, moving on from that uh, there really aren't any details on this but george commissioner killerou uh announced that fox espn fox and espn have also agreed to partnerships with major league rugby for uh uh Increasing the linear distribution of the league by an, by 34 matches. So there will be 51 matches on linear television this this is this season. <laughs> like which is great for the league. Like uh it's not half of the games a season, but I think it's a close to a third. Um so that's and then the rest, of course, will be available via a streaming platform. Which hopefully is still ESPN Plus. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's solid. Like I said, there aren't details on it. Um, and the last thing before we get to question is is kit season. Um, yeah, baby. Were announced by Major League Rugby on Friday. Um, what did you think, Liam? Uh, so obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but I think the New England Free Jacks had the best kit out of the entire league, just considering they have the old school collar. Best single kit. Um, well, uh, we could talk about your other one. Uh, what do you mean, our other one? The away kit. What? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. What? What are you talking about? It doesn't got a collar. What? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have a collar. It's but okay, still. it's not it's not the worst. It's not the it, it, it's not the worst. Now you you want to talk about what what's the worst? <laughs> Some, somebody got into a room. Rugby United, like, New York Yankees. Somebody got into a room and was just like, "Listen, what if we took the Mets jerseys and the Yankees pinstripes and put them in short shorts?" And they were just like, "Beautiful." Um. Yeah. Yeah. That was the. Especially the the New York away, it's 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 pretty rough. They're gonna need to wear them. Yeah. They're gonna need to, I, I need don't to have wear that the blue. An issue with the home jerseys, to be quite honest, my my issue was with the away jerseys. Uh, the the so I, I got beef with both. Um, the home jersey is almost perfect. It if you get rid of those pinstripes that are overlaid on the hoops, it is it is a delicious jersey. And if but the 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 pinstripes on this. Are they? I don't know. Are they alternating like black and 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 orange? I don't. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think the, the strength of the kits is, uh, man, that the the New England home kit is just delicious. Fresh. Um, oh, it's fresh. And b- believe me, like when 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 Owen Hunt ran out onto the stage at the Free Jacks reveal party just the other night at Hennessy's on Union Street in Boston people went nuts and as, and i i swear to god the second that uh that uh that uh one of the uh, our um, operations officers Owen Scannell said that uh it, that um that the jerseys were available for sale at the door again there was a mad rush for people to buy them at, at the end of the night there was hardly a person not wearing a free Jacks jersey. We knew, we we just about sold out. It was great. So just uh, just tell Owen that uh, you know I'm a, um, I'm in a, in you know I'm a, I'm a large. Just, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey man, if I don't get free shit, neither do you. <laughs> but uh, I, I one of the other good ones. I like the concept for the Seawolves home, but the the first Seawolves home kit with the with the gray and neon. And blue hoops is just, I I just you you just need to go back to that because it was just it's just classic. But the, uh, the man, it's not bad. But the the hardcore color rush of the Sea Wolves away the concept is great. The highlighter color rush that is like it's it's if you're watching the show or if you're listening to this on podcast later, the color is. Like it's not that we can screen but it's uh, it's pretty rough. But uh, it's but still, you get the skyline of Seattle, so that's cool. Um, like like Toronto, they just went with the same. They're very traditional. They just went with the same stuff they did last year. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Sabercats, I actually like it. It sort of reminds me of uh, of Utah season one. With these, didn't change that much. The, the the sub, but it's the sublimated saber cat in both the yellow and the the black kits, so that's kind of cool. Um, uh, just DC didn't get really get that creative for me. Uh, I thought uh, I love Nola. I love the pixelated uh, gold and white on Nola's uniforms. I think it's beautiful. The the one I I, I just because the artistry of it, I do like the. Uh, the winged away jersey uh, by the Raptors. I just think that's a it's a cool kit. I thought their home kit last year was pretty cool as well. Um, but 
somebody like that, but that uh, I just the New England home kit is just amazing. So uh, that's all I gotta say. So if you're if you hate everybody else or uh, New England over everybody works out for me because that um that is just a delicious kit. Uh, too bad they just didn't alternate the blue with the white for their away because that would have been that would have been pretty legit too. Um, I, I guess for New Orleans, I wanted a Mardi Gras kit. That's, <laughs> that's what I, I wanted a Mardi Gras kit. Um, you know, it's, that, is it just like a jersey completely made out of beads? Because um, I think that would hurt. That too. That too. Uh, so I think that about covers it. And so we'll get into questions. It's not, some of these are going to be rapid. Where that? I thought I, well, I lied. Um, I had it pulled up. Now let's pull it back up. Uh, I do remember one question from, right, from here, we, here we go himself. here's a good one here's a good one uh, from Taft Rugby Club um, shout out to Taft uh, they've been uh, good supporters of us uh, they, they really uh, do a lot of stuff uh, enjoy the shares thank you very much and we'll try to put out more coaching content uh, when we get some time just so you know we increase that knowledge but his question is any south any players going south any Americans going south to play in the new pro league in South America or South American players trying to get out of MLR contracts to go play in it well so, there are so, so so Santiago Arada from him he's like well, he already he, I I wouldn't say he got out of his contract he he you know he 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 had like a like a, like a legitimate out with it with his uh, contract in Houston in order to go back to um in order to go back to Uruguay um I think and, it was I remember the president of Sudamerica Rugby saying every single player had agreed to terms to come back that had gone north. And well, that's obviously not true because of uh, Diego Mac. It is not true because basically only Santiago stayed back to play, and then another player on the Sabercats retired and is taking up a coaching position in the South American League. So really, there there have been more players to come north this year than they have been to, to quit their contracts to play in South America. So, so that gives you an idea. I don't really see North American players getting a chance. I guess uh, world rugby is trying to place more uh, Islanders in the South American league um, to mostly make sure that the, the level of play is actually decent. Um, Larry Lawrence Weisel, Larry, uh, I think we answered the best and worst kit. So if you scroll back, uh, you can hear that. Um, who is going to win the Pick'em League this year? Uh, I was in a Pick'em League with uh, the guys from Red, White, and Black Eye, and I won it. And uh, Craig Gradelli was in uh, now contributor for Earful of Dirt, was in that league. And, uh, well, it's going to be me because y'all can't figure it out. Sorry. Uh, Aaron's got a system. <laughs> then uh, I guess, oh, you know, what, Nicholas Sarabia uh, with Fox Sports named as a new broadcaster for 20. What's, what's the lineup for broadcasting? Um, so like I said earlier, there are three broadcasters for Lanier, ESPN, Fox Sports, and uh, CBS Sports. Uh, what the lineup will look like or what channel on Lanier – 
it, probably ESPN Classic. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's done yet. I think the schedule is still being fleshed out. Um, Bob Kemp, um, what are the forwards doing in that scrum thing? Um, we're doing work um, is what we're doing. Um, I mean, you're, you're certainly not, you know, catching passes and not knocking them on. So, yeah. Uh, Matthew, bro, I'm going to butcher your name. Shwitchik? Um, what can MLR do to attract new fans? What should uh, new fans uh, know about the league, about watching a match? Uh, what about the league's future? Uh, well, um, Matt, uh, there are four to five real bids uh, being deliberated based on uh, Commissioner Killiber's, um addition to the Nolligal press conference. So, uh I think the the league will survive. The league is actually designed, I wouldn't say built to last, because built if you read Jim Collins being built to last is a bit different, but it is designed to survive. And there's enough money in the league now where I think survival is not really going to be a problem. And the demand for franchises, like the fees are actually getting there. It's kind of it kind of shows you the stability required for an organization to have to enter the league um, uh, to attract new fans. What do you think, Liam? You work for a team, so maybe I should just harass you about ideas. Yeah. So, well, I mean, in my opinion, in order to attract fans, you need to be able to make rugby information accessible. So I think that's going to start right now. Obviously, this is this has kind of been put on the back burner with, uh, with, with the league office is developing an MLR app um, because – People, a lot of people just want constant news. They want they want to be able to envelop themselves within a sport the way they do with a, a lot of people do with the NFL, MLB, NHL, because those leagues make it so easy for fans to interact with the sport in more ways than just you know in than than just uh, simply you know watching podcasts like this or or, or reading recap articles on the official um, team website. So MLR needs to find a way to make fans be able to participate with the league. Um, you know, just as much as they, as, as they watch it, um, you know, whether or not I can articulate, um, you know, like the best ways to do it, you know, probably not right now, but uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my opinion on terms of, you know, engaging new fans. We need to make rugby fun to be a part of, you know, and not because obviously the on, the on-field project is great. It's exciting. Um, but, you know, but it's kind of getting people in the door and making the league attractive. That is going to be the, the you know, the big hump to get over. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when it, to attract new fans, it, it really gets down to local stuff. I think the league and the owners in general in a collective manner made the decision to increase the linear windows because although broadcasting is changing, it's still pretty similar. The majority of the people watching television are watching traditional networks still. And we're not necessarily in the place yet to to just put all our games on ESPN Plus, and people will watch them. And it's worth you know a lot of money to sponsors. It, we have to develop value on linear television that will also drive those people to subscribe to ESPN Plus or whatever it is. But if there is a change, uh, to watch the rest. And because when you can deliver subscriptions to a broadcaster, because NBC has a subscription model, 
Um, ESPN has a subscription model. Fox and CBS are working on subscription models. MLB has a subscription model. NBA has a subscription model. NFL even has a subscription model. When you can deliver subscribers and Moss is when you will get a lot of money from a broadcast company. That's that's that. But locally, you just got to do engagement events. I know the Seawolves uh, do a few things here and there. Uh, I mean, I say a few, maybe I just don't get to see a lot of them. Um, I think the best right now has been San Diego. Whatever it is, what, there's whenever there's a major event where it's sort of like an expo, San Diego has a booth. Like it doesn't matter whether it's an air show, a soccer tournament, <laughs> they're at everything and they always have players there so that you can, so that people who have no idea what's going on, um, they can they get to roll up and talk to talk to players and have immediate access to players. So that's really cool. And I think that's a model that needs to be replicated by everyone in the league, where you have free engagement opportunities. Especially, you know, um, what one thing uh, I've seen a, a multitude of rugby teams is is not even just staying within the sport of rugby itself, but going uh, to gym classes and going to uh, to work with football teams. Uh, to work I, on. I think what was it? The Sabercats did a really decent thing, decent amount last year, which is working in, in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the Seawolves, Shalom Suniula specifically has been working with, uh, I think, a, oh, man, Tony, if you listen to this, uh, your son's school, like uh, a few Seawolves have been um, leading the rookie rugby class for this school um, in Seattle. So like all these kids are like, Playing rookie rugby, you know, once a week in PE or something, or it's every two weeks in PE. So that's cool. Um, I think all the MLR teams need to be in the schools helping, you know, establish rookie rugby programs. And that, and that helps because then, you know, the kid goes home and says, Mom, I want to go see this guy. I want to go see Coach. Uh, let's see. What's a, what's a good name? Let's go with Coach uh, Smith. F- F- Frederick Henry Ahuda. So, uh, it, with uh, with Atlanta, I want to go see Coach Ahuda. Oh, you was like what? What? It's like Coach Ahuda, the rugby player. I want to go. I want, I want to go to his game. Wh- what game? The 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 rugby ATL game. I want to go to that. Of course, the kids need a chaperone because they're not just going to go yeah, alone. So that's, exactly. That's so, two, you know, know, three tickets that you're going to sell it's, right it's, there. It's you know opportunities like that that are. You know, it's expensive. I get it. But, like, the reality is, is MLR is not where soccer was. We have to create and develop our market. That's why we're doing this, honestly, is to put as much information out there as we can. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's one thing to consider is that when MLS started, there was already a, you know, every every little kid in America was already playing millions soccer. Millions of yeah. children were playing soccer. Yeah, so. that, that's not the case with rugby. So uh, now, um, the questions. Uh, I, I need to. I needed to assess this one. I didn't really assess it that well. Um, well, how about you read it so we don't keep our listeners in suspense? What, from Grant Cole, what MLR team will outperform their history in twenty twenty? Well, I, I know the answer. Grant wants us to give. I mean, Austin is. I'm not, I'm not Austin inclined. was at the yeah. bottom of the barrel, man. So they will outperform their history. Exactly. Austin won zero games last year. So as long as you <laughs> they win at least one game, that's like a hundred percent more games that they're winning right off the bat. Oh, 
Um, uh, so, I, I want to say so I want to say I want to say that San Diego will outperform their history, which yeah. is uh, is losing to Seattle in a knockout game. <laughs> I no, I'm going to have to go with the Nola Gold uh, on this one personally. I think um, they, they were able to keep a lot of their core players. I think Coach Osborne is just one of the best coaches in the league, and he's a and he's a he's a guy that a lot of players really respond to. Um, thus far, that organization has just proven that they're they're run well, despite the fact they kind of fell off the cliff at the end of last season. I think you know, as long as like they're building on the suspect on on, on the success of uh you know early last season, seeing what worked, what didn't work, why perhaps they fell off, which is you know maybe because Tristan Blewett was playing a million minutes a game. I know, uh, I know, I'm gonna get stick from Seattle fans. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah. I, I I was proven wrong season one. Season two. Um, well, how can you season say like one? A- season one is like a fluke. Being wrong last year, flukish. Not nearly. That was more being dumb. Um, but this year, it's like they are going to be in a better set of circumstances to succeed. I think they're they're going to be in the conference final. So I, I just think three years in a row is a bit too much. And I think San Diego have improved. Like San Diego was the number one seed in the league last year, and they just they just couldn't get it done in you know at home in a final. Um, so if if San Diego has home field advantage in the playoffs, I think I think they will get past Seattle. If they have to travel to Seattle, I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. You're, you're not winning at Starfire in the in the playoffs, no, Matt. No, you're not. Um, but uh, in the so, um, you know, why are people – what about Eastern Conference teams? There's so many folks buzzing. I'll be honest. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I have so many folks buzzing is that it's actually a wide-open competition for the most part because I think a lot of these teams have a lot of talent. And you have three new teams. You have three new teams, so you have no clue how it's going to work out. Although I did pin my favorites as uh, – you know, New York and Toronto. And then I was pretty sure I'm pretty sure Nolan will make the playoffs. So I, I mean, I, I like Scott Lawrence. I like that he has a, a staff and I like the way they decided to build that team. When um, partially when James Walker was their GM, they signed a lot of young players and they continue after that, I guess, relationship deteriorated. They still signed young players. And what they have is a very big core of young American college players who came through the likes of life and a few other places. And they have the best, um, uh, I guess, the only American coach the in old, the league. The New England Free Jacks have the only American coach uh, in the league, I thought. No, no, no. There, so so there, are two, there are two American coaches, Josh Smith and Scott Lawrence, in the league. Um, so, but you have Scott Lawrence's, who's been the most recent product to come out of the American high performance system. So I think it's, I'm excited to see what leverage he and his staff are going to do with their very young group of players. Um, Josh Smith, well, Josh Smith kind of wins things, so that's that's helpful. Um, I think DC, it's like I think they have a good they have good players. I just I just don't 
know. I think commercially, though, they will make the most money in the league. Pretty sure. They're actually, I'm I'm pretty that they will make the most money in the league. They've got like the commercial stuff. It's I don't like, know, man. Have you I, I, have have you, have you been seeing the season ticket sales for the New England? Uh, I'm talking about. Do, uh, did you guys hire like full time? Like, did you did you appoint a revenue officer and a chief commercial officer? Mm. No, man. They. They, they, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I think I think the East is kind of wide open and the West really isn't. It, it will be interesting to see what the Sabercats do because you have a new head coach. You retained the interim head coach. They got and faster, for sure. You have a new – they have a new strength coach. And uh, Ashley Jones is actually uh, – it's kind of a psycho. Um, not not in the bad way. He like des- he has designed implements of strength training that have gone into production. So like this is he's he's pretty he's a pretty legit like strength coach. So it's gonna be interesting. I I think in the West right now, I think it I, probably Houston is my number three right now. Um, I, I just don't really know. I, I don't think, I, I know I said, I don't think Seattle added enough, but I think they added like sort of the right pieces, especially, especially like That's that one is tasty. But, uh, I think the team that didn't add enough completely for me is Glendale. It's Glendale. No. Glendale. Oh. Glendale, man. I'm Glendale. I, Utah's interesting. They added a lot. They they got they changed it. They reloaded, but but continuity because they've had the most turnover in the league, like more turnover than I would say the two most teams that have had the most turnover uh, in the league across the on the aggregate or over three years have been Utah and Austin. And like I said, Austin has a coach. I don't know why they don't announce it. So that's just that's what I have to say. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Got anything else? Uh, no. So I, I want to ask you though. So if you had, if you had to, you know, put money on it, who's the higher seed between Toronto and Rooney at, at the end of the year? Mm. Mm. Because, because, like you said, the East is kind of wide open. There's three new teams. Um, you know, then, uh, then obviously you have Toronto, Rooney, and Nola's the only one who's actually been, you know. Who's an who's an inaugural um, franchise uh, in, in the division? So, and obviously, I'm um, so also along with that. What are the chances that one of the three new teams? So, the, so the Free Jacks, um, DC, and Atlanta. What what are the chance? What are the chances that one of them actually uh, follows in the footsteps of Toronto and Rooney and makes the playoffs? I think it's possible. Uh, it could be that one of those two falls off. I think the I guess some of the venue issues that New York is dealing with could have a, a negative effect on the team. Um, I want to say Toronto would be my higher seed, and I would say New York because they have a full new coaching staff. I think they're going to win a bunch of games, but because they are changing over everything, scrum system, attack, defense, <clears throat> It could take some time to get everything bedded in. But I, I think they will win games, but it could be New York that doesn't make the playoffs. 
And it's, uh, you know, one of the three. My biggest thing is the one of the things, like in season one was, and the reason why I wanted to see things in, on one of teams to produce their, their preseason games is I wanted to see film. Because until I see film, I'm just throwing darts at the freaking dartboard while drinking whiskey. <laughs> We've all been there, man. It's <laughs> you know, f- film is the only thing that will give you an idea of how teams are going to play. Um, we have some film on some teams, and well, there was a crazy amount of coaching turnover in the league. I think what was it? Um, Chris Silverthorne's staff stays in place. Uh, Rob Hoadley's staff stays in place. And uh, Nate Osborne stays in place. Everyone else basically changed or is a an expansion team. And, it, and that could very well be based on the fact that there, you know, there is film now. And like, so, uh, you know, front offices kind of see this is, this is what our, this is where our team is at after two seasons. So yeah. it's kind of unsurprising that there was a decent amount of turnover once they had enough, you know, film, as you say, to make an, and make a more informed decision about, yeah. you know, the direction that their franchise wanted to go. For sure. So, um, I, I well, that's all this week. I'm not sure if I, last year I tried to get content out that was like lineouts driven and some interviews. I'm like, I'm kind of busy. I'm going to Colorado. I think I need to try and see some people. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to even see the people I want to see in Colorado. So I need to talk to them about that. But, uh, yeah, uh, we will see everyone, uh, in the new year. Uh, like I said, second weekend of January, I hope we answered all of your questions. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and you know, everywhere we haven't, we've gotten more ratings, like we've gotten more five-star ratings, but no one has left a review in a while. So if you we will to, read your review, we would I, love yeah, to. I'll, I'll give you some love, and if you have a fight you want to take out with the fellow rugby club, we'll we'll read out the trials and tribulations of your fights. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it. We gotta go. So, thanks. Thank you, guys. Peace. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby. Rugby.